You can be seated. Good morning. It's uh, good, to, good to have you uh, here today. Uh, we are, uh, like Scott uh, said in the intro, we're uh, one day, or one week, excuse me, uh, away from Easter. And uh, so we're going to close out this Abraham series. And just to uh, kind of uh, let you know what's going on, we'll pick up uh, with Jacob uh, next January. And uh, we'll be studying uh, the life of a little bit of Isaac, but uh, then his son Jacob uh, from uh, January to Easter next year. And so uh, we'll uh, just kind of put Genesis uh, off to the side for a year or so and, uh, and pick it back up. And then uh, we'll have just one more series after that on the life of Joseph. And then we'll have worked through Genesis over the course of four years. So uh, next Sunday, uh, we are going to be uh, looking at the idea of Easter every day. Uh, that Easter as a holiday, uh, as a as a kind of cultural holiday, is uh, celebrated once a year. But the resurrection was meant to be internalized, and uh, we're we're meant to walk with it every single day. And, and so, if we're uh, if we're Facebook friends, you'll you'll see this on my feed this week. Uh, if we're not Facebook friends, go ahead and friend me, and um, we'll become Facebook friends. And I'm going to be posting uh, this week uh, each day, hopefully, uh, a, a little kind of thought as it pertains to Easter every day. And so I just want us to get used to this idea leading up to Easter of uh, the resurrection is something we've internalized. The resurrection is something that we're living out uh, every single day. And please uh, consider, I know that this uh, Easter feels a little bit different. It doesn't feel as different as last Easter when we were uh, having uh, stay-at-home orders, but it still feels a little bit different. But I would encourage you to consider inviting someone to Easter. We've seen uh, guests all throughout the pandemic come come to our church, and uh, we're, we're grateful for that. But I think people are really going to be kind of open this year uh, to an invitation and really open to the idea of uh, celebration and resurrection and what it means for our lives. So consider doing that for next Sunday, and uh, we'll be gathered here, like Scott said, at uh, our, our normal uh, two services, and uh, we'll, we'll celebrate the resurrection. All right, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus uh, we thank you for the power of his resurrection. Uh, and Lord, we also thank you uh, for this Abraham story um, uh, that, that takes up a good chunk of Genesis. It, it's been so meaningful uh, to me to study it and to preach it uh, and to internalize it. This idea of uh, following uh, both Abraham's faith and your faithfulness to Abraham. Uh, it's been good and meaningful. We thank you for the text. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen doing a little bit of uh, research for this series, I came across a series of kind of tombstones of people that uh, very clearly had senses of humor, right? And, and I, I appreciate that. Even in their passing, they were, they were trying to make a joke. Uh, one I came across was kind of a great big uh, tombstone that uh, right on the front of it, before his name was even listed, it said, I told you the milk was bad, right? Um, another uh, was, was died from not forwarding the text message to 10 friends, uh, another said, I told you I was sick. Uh, one of my favorite ones was um, uh, Merv, Merv Griffin, a uh, famous kind of host of, of TV. He said, uh, I will not be back after the next uh, commercial break. So, uh, and, and as we kind of close today, I want us to begin to think about, as we close out this series, like Abraham's legacy. What would be written on kind of Abraham's tombstone um, if, if there was one? Uh, what, what exactly is uh, their legacy. And what, in order to do that, this is going to take just a few minutes, but I want to kind of walk you back through the text and, and kind of point out some of the highlights of what we've uh, seen in this series in a of Abraham's life. This series started, it actually started in January 3rd. Uh, we, we did a little 
pre-series uh, because uh, I thought a lot of people would still be traveling January 3rd. So the Genesis part of the text really picked up in Jan- uh, January 10th, and we started with this text on the screen. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So right off the bat, you know, way back in, in January, dog days of winter, uh, we, we see this little phrase that really describes Abraham's life and, and Sarah's life along with them, and it's uh, three really rich words. So Abraham went. Right? God had made this call. God had made these promises. And it says, so Abraham went. Now listen, as we've kind of discovered in the series, he didn't go perfectly. Right? Nobody really goes perfectly. He didn't go perfectly. Uh, he took Lot with him. But we see uh, the, the beginnings of this kind of legacy of Abraham's life. The, the, the beginnings of this kind of measure of faith begins to em- emerge. And pretty much right away, that's Genesis 12. Pretty much right away, there's an issue, if you remember. A famine, they get to Canaan, a famine strikes the land, they have to go to Egypt, and it's when they're in Egypt that Abraham comes up with this idea that Sarah is to tell everyone that she is his sister, and so Pharaoh uh, takes Sarah into the palace, and a whole lot is in jeopardy at this point. The promise seems to be in jeopardy, but God is merciful, God is faithful, and it all happens, this kind of happens because of this kind of failure of Abraham's faith to believe that the God of calling in Genesis 12 would be the God of protection in Genesis 13, right? Uh, or, or later in Genesis 12 even, that, that the, God of, uh, the God of calling would not be the God uh, of perfection. And then immediately from there, we begin to see some of the problems with bringing Lot along, that they begin to uh, not get along. And so Abraham says to Lot, listen, we're not getting along our servants are not getting along. You go ahead, and Abraham in his generosity says, you go ahead and choose. Wherever you go, I will go uh, in the opposite direction. And so Lot chooses this region by Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, which becomes a problem later. But Abraham lands in Canaan, and here's what happens next. So Abraham uh, went to li- live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Genesis 13 18, and we see this thread of faithfulness continue. That in the moment, in, in this kind of moment, Abraham pauses and he builds an altar to the Lord and he, he worships God. A, a, a resounding kind of faithfulness thread begins to emerge. And then on January 31st, we studied the covenant God made with Abraham. Really interesting text. If you ever want to go back and read it, it's Genesis 15. But it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. He's moved on from, it's not going to be Lot, right? He's, He's determined that. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household must be the heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring believe. And this is worth underlining in your Bible if you do that. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
And this becomes a phrase that is repeated throughout your Old Testament and into your New Testament as the measure of what God finds really important in terms of faithfulness. That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this becomes, like I said, New Testament writers grab onto this phrase and they say, man, this is how we get right with God. If you want to know how on earth, if you have anxiety about kind of facing God someday and when you pass away and all that stuff, how can I be right with God in this life and in the next? This is the text that the New Testament writers would point you to. Believe God, believe Jesus, and it will be credited to you. Your faith will be credited as righteousness. It is through belief and faith in Jesus that happens. We learn that from Abraham. This is absolutely, if you're going to kind of measure out Abraham's life, this is like a high point in Abraham's uh, faith journey. And then in the very uh, next chapter, because God had said in this text to Abraham, not to Sarah at the time, but this offspring will come from you. Abraham and Sarah kind of go back and they huddle up and like, this is what God said, that the heir will come through, through me. And they say, well, Sarah comes up with this idea. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean the heir is going to come through me. And so they kind of hatch this plan to help God along. And they go to a servant in their household and they decide to have a child through her. And it just goes south. Anytime we try to help God along instead of being patient. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you along a little bit with this. Right? It almost always goes south and Abraham's son Ishmael is born and it just does not go very well. And in the very next chapter, God comes back to Abraham and renews the promise. The very next chapter, after this kind of failure of faith where they're trying to help God along, God comes back and renews the promise. He seals it with a sign of circumcision. I'm sure that they wish it had been baptism, but it was circumcision. And um, those that, were, uh, to, that believed in God were to do this as a sign. It was a sign for Israel. And then in chapter 18, finally, after all of these chapters and all of these years, chapter 18, God clarifies, because he feels like he needs to, that the son is going to come from both Abraham and Sarah. And you remember Sarah's response? She laughs because she is, as the Bible says, old and well-advanced in years, right? So, so she laughs. And then the following story, we get Sodom and Gomorrah, which illustrates what a mistake it was to bring Lot along. In chapter 20, we see this kind of weird story where Abraham and Sarah lie again about Sarah being his wife. They say that she's his sister and it doesn't go well again. Uh, and the whole promise gets into jeopardy. And again, God is faithful. And then in chapter 21, their son Isaac is born. And they decide to give him the name Laughter. Isaac means laughter. They decide to name him Laughter because Sarah laughed uh, when he was born. And in chapter 22, Abraham is tested. And uh, God says, is everything that is yours, does everything belong to me? And Abraham passed the test. And it does. And so throughout the story, here's why I kind of wanted to do that. I want you to see there are these moments of incredible faithfulness in Abraham's life. And there are these moments where it all kind of falls flat and he doesn't believe, and he's fearful, and he's scared, and it just doesn't work at all. There are moments of faithfulness, and there are moments where it has failed. There are moments of victory followed by moments of defeat. It almost feels like real life. I made the decision uh, to follow Jesus. I was, I've told you the kind of story before, but the kind of minute I was born, my parents started going to church, so I kind of gave my life to Christ when I was pretty young. I was 10 years old, and I can think about my childhood, and I can think about these kind of moments of faith that happened after I was 10 years old. I remember uh, being baptized, and uh, baptism was a really big deal to me because I was scared of the water. Right? I, I know 
a Michigan kid being afraid of the water is like an Illinois kid being afraid of corn, right? It just, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. But I was afraid of the water. I was definitely afraid of the water um, when, when I was a kid. And so I was terrified, but I knew I needed to be baptized and I made the decision. And it is, that moment is just kind of seared in my memory. I remember sitting around a campfire at Rock Lake Christian Assembly uh, when I was in middle school and just feeling like God was calling me into the ministry and it was so real to me. I remember preaching my first sermon, sort of, uh, that I felt like as a high schooler, uh, I didn't really have anything to say to anyone. And so my preacher invited me to preach the, my first sermon. And so what I did was I memorized Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, I can't do any better than this. <laughs> right, th- these are the words of Jesus. And I remember these moments. But what would happen after these moments in my life is I preached the sermon or I gave my life to the ministry or I was baptized and then I'd get home and I'd have a huge fight with my sister. Sure, it was mostly her fault, but I I had a huge fight with my sister, right? I'd lie or I'd cheat. I'd get in trouble with my parents. And I remember thinking as a kid, I was so aberrant. It turns out I was typically human. It turns out I'm just a regular human being like, like all of us are. We tend to think that faith looks like this, that, that you give your life to Christ and it's all up and to the right 100% of the time. That the moment I give my life to Christ, I'm gonna be increasingly more faithful, increasingly more godly, increasingly more perfect as time goes on. That's how we think it goes. It's just not real life. I think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, the, I don't know if anybody ever had a more dramatic conversion to the faith than the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a church persecutor, and then he became uh, a, a church planter, from persecutor to apostle. And he, he uh, planted a whole bunch of churches. He wrote a huge section of your New Testament. His life was completely changed. And if you were going to point to anyone and say, man, that guy is holy, that guy is righteous, that guy has it going on, it would probably be the Apostle Paul. And let me read to you what the Apostle Paul wrote about himself. Now, I have struggled with this passage all morning in practice, trying to get this right, because there's a lot of the word do in it, all right? So we're, we're going to try to get through it. It's a tongue twister, but that, that's the Apostle Paul. Here it is. He said about himself, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, uh, as it, is it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good. This is the Apostle Paul. I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to, you see how this is hard, right? It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. This Apostle Paul, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In reality, faith looks more like this. There are times you're on the peak 
and there are times that you're in the valley, and there are times that you experience spiritual success, and there are times that you experience failure, that this is in reality what the journey of faith looks like more. And the reasons are pretty simple. One is we live in a broken and fallen world. We, we, we just do. So there is temptation all around us. I, I've talked to you about this before, but I, I think about my dad. Uh, my dad passed away this last uh, November. He was 72 years old. And I think about what my dad saw in his lifetime. In his lifetime on TV, he saw a show when he was a kid where a husband and wife wouldn't sleep in the same bed. In his lifetime, by the end of his life, you have what is currently kind of on TV right now. Uh, He just didn't have all of that temptation that comes with our media, all of the temptation that comes with the internet. But we're not even just talking about sin, right? Although that is certainly a part of it, that we have just so much access to information that it is easy, is it not? It is easy to get discouraged and frustrated and ready to give up. So depending on what is going on in our world, uh, your faith could be really strong or you could be experiencing discouragement and maybe even a little bit of depression. Faith is also lived out in the context of my sinfulness. So we live in a broken and fallen world, but there are also, as the apostle Paul said, there is a sin nature in me at war within myself. And the problem isn't just out there. The problem it lies within me that I have a sin nature. I have things I am naturally tempted to, to do, and so do you. As a matter of fact, we just finished a last year that that may be painfully obvious to you what those things are, right? Because we've had stay-at-home orders, and we've been home and afraid a, a whole lot more, and you might have discovered what that thing is that you are tempted to put your faith in, you're tempted to put your trust in, you're, you're tempted to give in to this one particular or these two particular temptations. The reality is, guys, faith is more of a journey. I've always loved that part of our mission statement, that we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. It is embedded into our culture here because it recognizes this truth, that faith is not just up and to the right. Sometimes our faith is strong and we're on the mountain, and sometimes we struggle And sometimes we give into temptation. So let me say a couple of things. When you're on the peak and you're experiencing success, the first thing I learned from Abraham's life is practice humility. Remember that your faith is in God because he's God and he's great. There there comes this uh, time in Israel's history where they've been in captivity. And uh, God comes to them about when they're going to return back to Jerusalem. All right, so they kind of been in slavery. He's like, you're going to be going back to Jerusalem soon. And he warns them, believe it or not, about success. He says, when you get back to Jerusalem, there is going to be a thing in your mind that says, man, I did this. I made this happen. It is because of me that we are back. But remember, God says, it is always me. It was always me. It's always about your God. So one of the things that happens when, when things are, are going in well and we're walking in faith is that there's a temptation to let pride take hold. And we start to believe that maybe we're righteous and we're good and we're awesome on our own. And we have to remember anything we have and everything we are is because of God's grace. So when you're on the mountain, practice humility. When you're on the mountain, when you're at a peak and you're walking in faithfulness, practice worship. It will help you to remember uh, the greatness and the glory of God. You see this throughout Abraham's life is that uh, he has success and immediately uh, we see him worshiping so that he can be reminded of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the glory and the splendor of his God. And this is is, uh, Palm Sunday 
where we, rem- we remember one of these faith swings that happened. Re- remember on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem and everybody is worshiping Jesus. And what happens just a short week later? They're crucifying him. Because faith is not always up and to the right. Sometimes we're on the mountain and experiencing success and sometimes our faith fails and we're afraid and, and it lets us down. And so when you're in the valley, a couple things. Practice repentance. The word repentance, it's just a, a fancy kind of Bible way of saying you were pursuing this, you've realized it's wrong, and so you turn away from it and now you're pursuing God. That if you have become trapped by a sin or desire, the greatest tool God has given us is the tool of repentance. And you know what the gospel says? The gospel says when we realize we've been pursuing the wrong thing and we decide to turn back to our God, the Bible says that he forgives our sin, which is awesome. He forgives our sin. We're gonna celebrate that on Good Friday. Say, what makes, it, what makes the cross good? What makes it good is that he forgave our sin on the cross. So he forgives all of our sin, but he also empowers us to overcome sin. And I need that. I don't know about you. I am glad that my sin is forgiven, but I don't want to continue to pursue this thing. And so this is what the Apostle Paul was alluding to in our text. That He says, man, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. That he doesn't just forgive our sin. He empowers us to overcome it. And that is indeed good news. So in the valley, we practice repentance. In the valley, we practice return. If you think about your uh, life recently and you think about how, man, alive, when I think about the last year, it, maybe you say, I feel like my faith has been low and I've been given into fear or I've been chasing something or someone less than God. Here's what I need you to know about our God. Return, returning to him is always an open invitation. Returning to him is always available to you. It is always an option. God and his grace calls on us and invites us to return. There's a great story in your New Testament. And the story is about a kid, kind of punk kid, rebellious kid, that he goes to his dad and he says, listen, essentially you're not dying fast enough. Give me my inheritance early. And so the father uh, decides to relent to his son. And he says, all right, I will give you your inheritance early. And the son takes the inheritance and he leaves his father. He departs from the father. And he goes to a, a, a faraway land where he engages in wild living, the Bible says. He squanders all of his money. And eventually he finds himself in kind of a pigsty, absolutely broke, no friends, no money, no options. And he has this thought, he says, man, even the servants at my father's estate have it better than I currently have it. I am going to go back and I am going to, he rehearses this whole line in his head. He says, father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he starts the long journey back. And what we learn in the story is that the father sees him from a long way off. The father's been watching for him. The father sees him a long way off. And and in Jewish culture, this was just not something that was done. But the father runs to the son. And he embraces him. And he welcomes him home. And then an absolute break of protocol from Jewish custom. You know what happens in the story? The father then throws a party for the son. 
who squandered his inheritance, wasted his money, engaged in wild living, and was a far way off and returned home kind of hat in hand. He throws a party for the son. This is an image of our God. He not only invites you to return, he throws a party when you do. And so if you have discovered that, man, you're, you are in the valley and you've made mistakes, you do, you've done things you wish you hadn't done, you've given into fear that you wish you hadn't given into, you need to know the Father is urging you and inviting you to return. And he absolutely wants to celebrate your return. The last thing we learned from Abraham, all right, we learned the art of, uh, that when you're in the valley, the art of repentance, the art of return, and honestly, this is a big one, the art of never giving up. Never give up learning about God. Never give up trying to walk in faith. Never give up trying to trust him more. Will you fail? Yes. Faith sometimes fails. Will you take a detour you regret? Most of us have, right? Me too. But don't ever, ever, ever give up. You repent, you return, but you never, ever give up. Years later, the writer of Hebrews will be doing what we've talked about this morning, trying to kind of, years later, give legacy to Abraham. What, what is his legacy? Um, and I, I want to read to you what, what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs uh, with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Hmm. Was Abraham perfectly faithful? Was Sarah perfectly faithful? Uh, no. No, if you've attended even one other week of this series, you know the answer to that is absolutely not. So what is their legacy? They kept journeying. They kept on. They learn from their mistakes. They learn to trust God. They learn to never quit. And listen, there is a faithfulness in that. There is a faithfulness in that. To say, man, I have made a mistake. I am going to repent. I am going to return. I am going to learn to, from it. And I am never, ever, ever going to quit on my God. I am going to learn to be faithful. I'm going to learn to trust. I'm going to learn to walk with increasing boldness. And at the end of the day, because they had these attributes of never quit, keep journeying, keep learning, keep going after God, even when we make mistakes, we return. Because of that, their legacy was called faithful. Written on their tombstone. If they had tombstones today, I really believe that is the one word that would be on the tombstone. Faithful. Perfectly faithful? No. A never quitting faith? Absolutely. A desire to learn faith? Yes. A, a, a repentance and a return when I've made a mistake? Absolutely. Just like real life. Faith is never this way, just up and to the right every single day. It is always up and down. It's, it's always like that. That is real life. And may the same thing be said of us. 
at the end of the journey, at the end of the journey, whenever that is, may we have learned to walk in faith. May we repent when we need to. I am growing increasingly concerned about our culture's failure to repent. And and actually, repentance being seen as almost a dirty word. May we repent when we need to. May we return when we have strayed. May we learn from our failures. And may we never, ever, ever stop journeying toward our God who is good and faithful and glorious and worthy of our worship. We're gonna receive communion together. It's under your chair. And it's an opportunity for us to remember our faithful God and uh, that, that he, he didn't hold anything back from us like we said last week. Instead, he gave his one and only son. And so what we're gonna do um, is I wanna pray and I wanna leave a little bit of time for you to just spend time with God and thank him for his son and thank him for his faithfulness and ask him to help you and, and to help me. We'll, we'll ask him to help us to be faithful as he's been faithful. Uh, and then after a little bit of time of quiet, I'll come back and we'll receive it all together as a church family. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his faithfulness. May we be faithful. And Lord, we, we are um, surrounded by a, a sinful culture. We um, have a sinful spirit inside of us that tries to pull us away from you. So this isn't, we're probably not gonna do this perfectly but may we never give up. May we repent when we have sinned, return when we have strayed, and never, ever, ever give up pursuing you. And at the end of the day, you call that faithful. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us when our faith has failed. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, if we're on the mat, Empower us to get up and to pursue you once again. And right now, Lord, I want to leave a little bit of time of quiet for us to spend time with you as a church. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This is his body given for you. This is his blood poured out. I don't know what kind of church environment you grew up in, but sometimes you can grow up in an environment where you just assume everyone's going up and to the right, right? <laughs> that everybody's having a good day. Everybody's becoming increasingly perfect. Every, you know, and, and, and that's, we've done a disservice to faith by describing it that way. Because life can be challenging. And there's a sin nature at work. And we're surrounded by a, a, a culture that has a sin nature. And so, Life is challenging, and you don't ever, ever want to celebrate your shortcomings, but you do want to remember that God is inviting you home. God is inviting you to turn back to him. He forgives all of your sin. He empowers you to get up, and that is faith. That is faith. It's refusing to give up pursuing him, and and it's refusing uh, to give up on on that and to walk every day with a renewed energy to to go after him, and it's not going to be perfect every day. Believe me, it's never going to be perfect every single day, but there is a faithfulness in getting up every day with that desire. And when you've sinned, repent. When you've strayed, return. 
and in all things never give up. So we're gonna celebrate the resurrection that makes all of this possible next Sunday, and I'm looking forward to it. This is a good year for resurrection, right? It's a good year to celebrate resurrection. So uh, we'll see you back here next Sunday. We'll celebrate uh, our king who conquered the grave and we'll conquer yours as well. So God bless you. Have a great week.